It is Locked on Jazz for the 20th of December. The Jazz go to Cleveland and get manhandled just like they did in Milwaukee. What does this tell us about where the Jazz are, how badly they need Kelly Olenek, and where has the passing gone? We'll talk about it, plus late game watching. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making every day better to be a jazz fan. This, I, I, I'm discombobulated, I'll tell you why in a second. This show is free and available on all platforms and all podcasting apps as well as on YouTube. Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. So we're in this cool hotel. Um, it's neat. Definitely feels different, kind of fun. Um, not sure I agree with the guys. Uh, uh, one of the coaches uh, was saying they thinks it's like top four. Um, I would quibble. Uh, super good coffee shop. Uh, Madcap right next to it, so that's a strong plus. Uh, but it's one of these modern, cool places that does not have a desk. Um, they, they, this is kind of an in thing in the hotel world right now is to no longer have desks, which is great unless you need to work, which on a back end of a back-to-back is the only thing I'm actually going to do in Detroit today. I went on a walk, actually. I went to this cool little Midwestern breakfast diner. Um, and so I really have no choice here either to give you like a shot up my butt like I just did, give you like this weird, like, I, I don't know what to do, and I'm super uncomfortable. Um, so I have no desk. I just can sit on this couch and chill with you today and do the show. Uh, Jazz get manhandled last night by the Cavaliers. You know, the first thing is the Jazz have faced two teams that could win the title. Maybe not this year for Cleveland. Um, but they're really good. And Donovan is, at a, as we talked about yesterday, is playing at as high a level. The game just looks so easy to him right now. Uh, it was, uh, and so the Jazz got, got handled, and we'll talk about it. There are some things that are going on that we need to kind of zero in on. Um, I want to just say what a wonderful night. Uh, I've been really lucky to be in this league for an awfully long time. Um, let's try, I think I'm on my uh, 30th year covering the league. Ah! Um, I'm pretty certain that's right. Um, I'm in my you know 28th or something involving pre-halftime postgame, and so I you know I do walk into arena and know people from this. And then it's a funny little world about the NBA. I've tried to explain to you before that you actually feel like you're in this family, and yet you're not because you only see them for like five minutes. So Antonio Lang is just simply one of the best human beings I've ever met. Um, and the best way I can say it about Antonio Lang is. Uh, former jazz assistant, now Cavalier assistant. I've I've really never met anyone who changes the energy in a room better than Antonio Lang. Every single time I ever see him, I leave with more energy than I had before I saw him. It's great. Uh, it was wonderful to see him. I got a few minutes with Ricky Rubio. I got a few minutes with Howell Neto. I got a few few seconds minute with Donovan. Um, I talked to Donovan's trainer Murph for a long time. Uh, got an update on on life, and so it was just a really cool night. Like it was a reminder that there's. These are people, and there's camaraderie, and there's humans, and the Jazz franchise has been through enough that there's just so many people around, and last night was kind of the peak of it. 
Um, and it was good to see Don. He seems great. Um, but I, you know, I couldn't give you a lot of insight, but, um, he, his, he looks great on the court as well. So, uh, cool stuff. All right, let's get to the jazz. Uh, this is so uncomfortable. Um, so I'm not surprised at all that Kelly Olenek missing derailed the jazz last night, um, for a few reasons. One is one of the main premises of why the Jazz made that trade was because they wanted to be a functional, viable basketball team. Like, without Kelly Olenek, there was a real concern that the Jazz, from the Jazz, that if they had not made a deal and got Kelly Olenek as as kind of a ball-moving center... But there was a real possibility that it was going to be super hard for the Jazz to actually play viable basketball. Um, and I think that showed to be true last night. Last night, the Jazz threw fewer passes than they've thrown on any night all season long. Well, I, I'm again, I'm not surprised. Kelly Olenek's not on the floor. Uh, and there are, we'll get into passing here in a little bit. There's two different aspects to passing. There's two different things that are important when we talk about passing. Um, and I think that, so, and, and we'll get into that. But the the Jazz are just, you know, they're three points per 100 possessions better when Kelly Olenek is on the floor offensively. He just makes the ball move and makes things happen. Um, and I've called he and Mike Conley the threads that hold the fabric together. And we saw when we lost Mike Conley, we could kind of fight through it for a while, but then when it really mattered, we couldn't. And I think with Kelly Olenek, it's actually more, almost, he's almost more vital for, for two reasons. One is the ball movement I'm talking about. He, he just, he comes up, he moves the ball, he's a .5 player, he's always getting off of it. And the second is the floor spacing. I don't think... You can play Walker, Kessler, and Jared Vanderbilt at the same time. If you, I mean, we don't have a choice. Um, but since neither of them have a threatening outside game yet, that is not a lineup that I think can work. Um, and I don't think that Will Hardy disagrees with me since how fast Malik Beasley came in to the game each time. Um, the other thing is that it puts Jared Vanderbilt in too many important defensive positions. And Jared Vanderbilt's um, defense is better on the weak side than on the ball. And it, it's better if um, it's better if he can wreak havoc rather than be fundamental. How's that? Is that? I think that's the way to say it um, on Vanderbilt. Uh, by the way, I'm pretty certain that um, that Will Hardy agrees with me. Jer- Walker Kessler and Jared Vanderbilt had played three possessions together all season long prior to last night. Um, and it was not that's you know they, so they they it was not a lineup that the the Jazz were using at all. So that's not surprising. And so without Kelly Olynyk, this is really the point. Like. This is why they went and acquired Kelly Olynyk for Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, 
they probably could have gotten a first-round draft pick had they included Jared Vanderbilt or somebody else in a trade. For all this talk I keep seeing about, why didn't the Jazz get a first-round draft pick for Boyan when they could have? Well, clearly they couldn't have for Boyan Bogdanovich as Boyan Bogdanovich, or they would have. Funny how that works. Danny didn't say, yeah, I don't want a first-round pick. But when they could clear the space they needed to make future deals, which haven't happened yet, and get somebody like Kelly Linick who makes you a viable player who Danny knows up close and personal how valuable he is, that's why he made that trade. My understanding is had they wanted to trade, get another first-round pick, it was going to cost them another player. Somebody was going to have to take Boyan Bogdanovich and someone for a first-round pick. You can discuss whether you want that, but you're taking a lot of salary um, back at that point, and the Jazz needed to make some salary changes. So Alinek is is completely incredibly important to this team. Like when Mike Conley goes out, there really is not another player on the roster that does what Mike Conley does. We don't really have another point guard. And when Kelly Alinek goes out, we don't have another ball mover. And that became abundantly obvious. I've got some numbers for it. It's the thing about our passing and our ball movement and the way we play is it's super fragile. If you go back to where we were when the season started, the first show I did when I was not like somewhat silhouetted out by the background sun that just changed, for those of you watching on YouTube, um, the very, very, very first show I did of the year was will this team pass the basketball? That there are no natural passers on the team. The fact is there's two, Mike Conley and Kelly Olenek. And when we've missed one of them, it's been pretty obvious. I'm going to dig into some numbers for you next to show you how fragile our ball movement position actually is uh, for everything. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also in Logan and in Linden. The Murdochs do a wonderful, wonderful job uh, with all of their uh, customer service, service, vehicles, things, because they want to make sure you have a no-regrets experience. They've been a member of our community for over 80 years. And then you add in what Hyundai brings to the table. What Hyundai brings to the table is... The car that's the most affordable with the most bells and whistles that you can possibly get. Whether it's the beautiful Palisade, whether it's the zippy fun Kona, the Tucson and Santa Fe that are in the middle of that SUV lineup. Whether it's the North American car of the year, the Elantra or the Sonata I'm driving right now. The lineup is simple, straightforward, gives you great value for your dollars, and it's all at Murdoch Hyundai. Located at 4646 South State Street. Also located in Logan and in Linden. Stop by any of those locations, but first email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock09 at gmail.com. So we can make sure to give you the VIP treatment you deserve by being a Locked On listener. Today's show also brought to you by Turo. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want whenever you want from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for any occasion on or budget. U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, book a spacious SUV, a minivan for a family trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget or just need to go from A to B. I have some friends who 
Whenever they go on a long drive vacation, they just rent a car, so they don't wear their car out. This is where Turo would be perfect. Or use it to test drive the new electric vehicle. Many Turo hosts even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. That's T-U-R-O.com. T-U-R-O.com. Thanks for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps. And for your second listen today, grab on to Locked on Sports Today. The 22-minute recap of everything that's going on. I just listened to it. Jalen Hurts' big story of where the who as the edge in the NFC if Hurts is hurt. Are the Lions a legitimate playoff team? And some interesting thoughts about how the NFL is evolving from Chris Carter of Locked on Steelers. Plus all sorts of other recaps along the way, including Dane becoming the Blazers all-time leading scorer. Congratulations to the Weber State Wildcat and the Weber State Wildcats who beat Utah State last night. All right, ball movement, passing. Ball passing is interesting. There's two numbers that I like to look at when I look at passing. So one of them is just passes, and honestly, there's no direct correlation between the number of passes a team throws and whether their offense is good or bad, or whether they win or lose. It really goes to the team. It's an indicator of how a team plays and what a team does. But if you go back to the Houston Rockets with James Harden, they didn't pass, and they won. The Warriors with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, they pass, they win. So it's unique to each team. There's no direct indicator. Then in regards to the quality of passes, I do like the number of potential assists. There's a little bit of a problem in this, but the reason I like potential assists is because, frankly, once the good pass is made for a shot, it's not really the passer's fault whether or not the ball goes in the basket or not. And it tells you a little bit of how many shots your passing is creating. However, there is great value to passes that are thrown that are not thrown solely for the assist. So there's actually some value to let's get the ball moving. Let's make the initial drive to the basket. Kick it. Next guy drives. Kicks it. Next guy drives. Kicks it. The old blender. And there's only one potential assist out of that, and there can be a multitude of passes. So... I think that when you look at that, you have to kind of understand that this number is not like the be end all of all numbers. It's it's an interesting number, but it's not the be all end all of numbers. Um, but in the case of the Jazz, I do think there's some telling things here for you. One is that the the Jazz are only 19th in passes thrown in the NBA, so. We talk about our ball movement and our obvious unselfishness. Well, that's a Quinn's phrase, but we've that kind of same concept of how we're playing the game, that we're moving it, we're playing together, there's never one guy. We're we really don't have ball movers naturally. We're 19th in the league in passes thrown. Our five highest games of passes thrown all took place before November 15th. So if you start to, like, break down when we actually have thrown passes, it's decreasing as the year goes on. Our five highest passing games all took place before November 15th. Um, three of the five were in October. So three of our five highest passing games were in October. Of our top ten passing games this year, number of passes, again... No direct correlation necessarily that passes mean wins or passes mean better offense, but 
on this group, I think, in isolated inside the team, it tells you a little bit. The three times this year that we've hit the top ten, or the three times this month, we've hit the top ten of our passes. So three games of our top most passes games are in December. Two games against New Orleans and one against Golden State. Now, that also could be the way New Orleans plays, right? Or it could be we are on it. We are at home, we are on it, and the Golden State home game. Those are home games. Last night was the fewest passes we've thrown in any game all year. 238. We average in the 275, 280 range. So last night was the fewest passes we've thrown in any game all year long. 238. Interesting note... Milwaukee was 280, I think it was. I'll have to double-check that. My, I think that's what my notes say. So that wasn't so bad. Our fourth lowest passes thrown game of the year was in our loss at home to Detroit. We only threw 256. 238 is pretty low, by the way. 238 gets into one of the lower passing game numbers of the season. Um, so... If we try to look at it, and, you know, our high pass game of the year is against Minnesota on December 21st, second game of the year, 334. A few nights later, we go 317 against Memphis. If you look at our low pass number of the game, it's 238. And then, 238, by the way, is 15 fewer passes than we've thrown in any game all season long. Detroit was 256 is our fourth lowest at Atlanta and at the Clippers. Our three lowest are all road games, which I do think is interesting. And we do seem to throw less passes on the road than we do at home. And I mentioned the Milwaukee game was right in the middle of the pack. It was a 289, actually. So this is just maybe unique to last night. And there was an awful lot going on last night with returns and Donovan and all those things. And we got pretty discombobulated by a great defensive team. I mean, that's the other thing. Without Kelly Olenek, we lose the passing. We also just played back-to-back games against the number one and number two defenses in the NBA. And they're evidently better defensively than we are as the fourth best offense in the league. Which is surprising. The fourth best offense in the league, which has really worked well this year, got to be against those two teams and just... Jared Allen at the rim, Brooke Lopez at the end, bothered the heck out of us. We lost our flow. We got tight, and then I think we went one-on-one. Clearly. The data shows it. So I think there's something to that. Then the stagnant offense leads to runouts. Fast break numbers last night were absurd. I think it was like 30-2 to or something crazy. And so when you suddenly get stagnant offensively and you're not moving and they're not out of place and they're all set, they get the rebound and they go. And boy, did they ever last night. I think they had 13 dunks. So, again, they all play together. It's the beauty of this game. The the existence, the beauty of this game is two parts. It all plays together and it's all fragile. And so when we don't have Kelly Olenek, who's the thread that works the fabric together, who moves the basketball, and then we stop moving it, then our defense gets worse. Then we suddenly have no defense. Now, in a little bit of a defense to the defense last night, 
that was some real shooting. Um, I think when I looked at it, on expected field goal percentage versus actual field goal percentage. So you can look at where a team takes their shots and figure out what they should have shot. Now, here's what's crazy about last night. Cleveland got unbelievable shots and would have throttled us had they shot their average. Okay? We got bad shots and shot badly, and they got good shots and shot well. So in no way, shape, or form am I about to tell you that last night's game, I don't actually buy that last night's game was a make-or-miss game because even if everyone made or missed as they were supposed to, Cleveland would have won by a lot because their shots were so much better than what the Jazz were getting. However, in the midst of Cleveland getting so much better shots than the Jazz, they shot 15 percentage points, better effective field goal percentage than they were anticipated to based on the shots they got. So they should have had a heck of a night, which was 57% EFG, which is a little bit above league average, and they would have won. And instead, they shot 72% of EFG between their three-point shooting, where I think they were 15 of 26 for 58% from three, and their two-point shooting. We, because we would not have ball movement and did not play well, and their defense discombobulated us, and the Jared Allen took away the rim and all these things, we took a bunch of really not very good shots, 23 kind of floater zone shots, our expected field goal percentage was 50%, and we only shot 44. So the make or miss aspect of the game last night exacerbated the issue, but the issue was that Cleveland's defense was so good that they bent us offensively. They were wildly physical with us. We stopped running our routes. We were not physical back. We got pushed off our routes. The ball movement stopped. Kelly Olenek wasn't there to hold it together. We threw the fewest passes. We got bad shots. And we got blown out. Cleveland's really good. All right. um, I want to do some late game watching with you, if I may. I got a bunch of notes uh, from games. I did not get to all of last night's games. I prepped for Detroit instead when we got to the hotel last night. Um, And so I'll, I'll catch up for you on Thursday. Um as well so uh but let me we'll do that here in just a second let me have that for you uh looking at some of the games some interesting there's an interesting trend or two taking place in the nba and late game watching that i want to share with you um here today uh on the program it is locked on jazz your daily utah jazz podcast such a pleasure uh to bring it to you today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at bet online bet online where the game starts. Make sure you get all your action at betonline.net. Take advantage of the fun, the interplay, all the good stuff that takes place at BetOnline. Uh, the Jazz tonight in Detroit. I'll have to check that line for you, but you can get in on football, baseball, uh, futures, uh, all the NFL action that's taking place as well here uh, with the playoffs nearing Jacksonville and the Jets are the Thursday night game. It's a pick em. Uh, I have a few comments if you're betting Jacksonville um, Jets game. Jazz tonight, first game out. We're a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Warriors are a five-point dog in New York against the hot Knicks. Miami are four-and-a-half-point favorite against the struggling Chicago Bulls. Phoenix a seven-point favorite against Washington. And Denver and Memphis is the game of the night. Memphis goes into Denver as a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Wow, that's a little bit surprising. Christmas Day games are up on the board right now. You can get involved on all those as the Sixers will play the Knicks, the Lakers and the Mavericks, Bucks and the Celtics, Grizzlies and Warriors, Suns and Nuggets are the Christmas Day. It's all 
for you at betonline.net, where the game starts. So, late game watch. Uh, for those who have not heard this segment before, welcome. Uh, we do this on Tuesdays and Thursdays if I've had a chance to get all the watches in. I try to catch up. What I try to do is go through and watch the final set. I really started with the final five minutes. Then I realized as a play-by-play announcer, there was real value to backing it up to the final nine minutes um, because it allowed me to see all ten players or all nine players every plays. So, um, and you're, I'm watching for trends, action, how teams close, what teams are doing defensively, what players they're going to, um, and how comfortable they look. So Cleveland earlier this year looked incredibly uncomfortable in their three-man game between Mitchell, Garland, and Allen, and now look much, much more comfortable, and they're using Mobley in it more than Allen. And it also tells you a little bit how teams are playing defensively. Are they switching? Are they dropping? Almost ever. There's two things that are really interesting to me that's, that are taking place here. So one was early in the year, I think I talked to you guys about a bunch of teams were throwing zone out. We're now seeing zone out of timeouts, almost universally out of a timeout that it's not even surprising. And then never again. So the early season, like, we'll try zone, we'll try zone, we'll try zone. Eh, it seems to be gone. The second thing that I think we saw a lot of, that I saw a lot of early in the year, was a lot of plays. A lot of actions, a lot of plays, a lot of movement, a lot of, you know, beautiful sets, fun stuff. Eh, it's gone. What we've almost gotten back to by 30 games in the season is almost everyone switching one through five late. This is where the drop big, Rudy Gobert, Jared Allen even, but Cleveland's even switching late games. Cleveland switches one through five. With Jared Allen. Um, almost everyone's switching one through five now. So that makes the drop big that, like, Rudy Gobert, this is where Danny Ainge, I think, thought was you can't win a championship with him and you can't pay him $40 million, so I'm going to trade him, is the drop big, Walker Kessler, is super valuable in this league still for about 25 to 30 minutes a night, but it's not the final five minutes of a game anymore. There just are not, no one's playing very, very little drop big late in games. Almost universally now everyone's switching one through five. The impact that almost everyone is switching one through five is it seems like no one's running plays anymore. Oklahoma City started the year running a bunch of really interesting plays. A lot of cool stuff. Giddy coming in here. Alex Shea Gilgis Alexander doing this. Interesting actions off Lou Dort. Doing a bunch of stuff. Nope. They're now isolating Shea Gilgis Alexander and just letting him go. The amount of teams are just getting the guy a ball at the nail. The nail is the spot in the middle of the free throw line because it's the impossible spot to double team across the board. Luka is just getting double teamed every time he touches the ball. And so what offense right now, 35 games into the season, late in game, has, has evolved into is either you have a superstar like a Luka and you literally just bring the ball up the floor, run your first action, wait for them to double team, and then you move it. They don't do a lot in Dallas to get Luka off the ball, come into the ball, try to get him an advantage on a tight curl to make him make a play before. It's like they're pretty willing to take the double team, let Luka then move it, and see what they get. The other thing you're just seeing out of actions, because what I think has happened to enough teams is they run this action, people switch it one through five, they get caught late in the shot clock and they're going to ISO. 
was suddenly they're late in the clock is that the coaches are like, you know what, I'm just better off icing. Miami runs all this stuff through bam at the elbow and bam, and they get nothing out of it, and then they end up going to Jimmy Butler for the ISO. But if you don't go to the if you if you run your stuff like everyone says, oh, run plays late in game, run plays late in game, and it doesn't work because everyone's now switching one through five, then you got seven seconds, six seconds left on the shot clock. You're kind of screwed. And so, from a coach's standpoint, your quick switch on that is to decide, okay, well, I'm just going to get into the one-on-one ISO, see if I can break someone down, we'll play out of it, or force them into a double team, and we'll play out of that, rather than all this action. And frankly, it's made some late-game stuff less interesting. I'm not going to lie, it's way less interesting. So let me run through some of these games. Uh, Dallas-Cleveland and overtime, that's exactly, this is largely where this is from. Then Cleveland-Indiana, Cleveland zone out of a timeout. Mitchell always circling behind the action. Um, And they ran, and and J.B. Bickerstaff runs some good stuff here. Uh, Minnesota versus Oklahoma City. OKC comes out of the comes out with a zone at the six forty three mark. Um, Minnesota no go bear on the floor. He's out. They're playing five out and just driving. Interesting, by the way. Jalen Williams, the rookie out of Oklahoma, uh, Santa Clara, I think it is. This that's the one is finishing games. Um, Minnesota dropped into a zone with under a minute to play. And then my notes are OKC's not running anything. And then the other side is OKC doubling Edwards to get the ball out of his hands. And so Edwards, then OKC Minnesota goes to Edwards at the nail. So it's not just Joel Embiid at the nail. It's just not Giannis at the nail. It's, it's They literally went to Edwards at the nail. And if you give Edwards the ball at the nail, incredibly hard where you're bringing the double team. He just surprised to power through. Toronto's entire late game offense is Pascal Siakam at the nail. Brooklyn, Toronto, Toronto. First of all, Brooklyn looks really good. Um, it is clear, by the way, Durant does not like contact. Juancho Herman Gomez was all over him, and Durant was going nuts. And interestingly, also, had not seen this before, but Toronto was attacking Durant. Toronto was going at Durant and making Durant play defense. Um, Toronto's offense late game is interesting. It's either Van Vliet, early offense, pull into a three, or it's Siakam at the nail. And then they're going Barnes, ISO, more late in the last three times I've watched Toronto against Sacramento, against Brooklyn. And actually, Barnes is having some more success, but this team is searching. They are losing, they are lost six straight, and they are now changing the way they are playing late game. And that's what Sacramento did earlier this year and actually found the answer. So it'll be interesting to see. My notes had Siakam not quite a go-to guy earlier. So that's my late-game observations. I don't need to bore you with each and every game I've watched late-game. I try to put it into a bigger capsule so you can watch the league and kind of have that overall uh, take on it. That is Locked on Jazz today. Jazz and the Pistons, not previewing you a great deal on the Pistons. They're they're not good. Uh, they're 8-24. and 24. They're 23rd in the league offense, 29th in the league defensively. Uh, their half-court defense is 29th in the NBA. Um, they go to the free-throw line a ton. If we are slow and lazy defensively, we will get cooked. Um, there's nothing they do in the that's not in the bottom 10 defensively in the NBA, so if we move the basketball and play, we should be able to be all right offensively. But again, that was a bottom five passing game of the year for us earlier this year. All right, that is Locked on Jazz. Hope you have a great one. Talk to you soon. Tomorrow, in fact. See ya.